are Baptists Reformed? This is a very involved question with a lot of different angles, very complicated question. And uh, I think it's a good question because it leads us into a discussion about uh, not only Baptist theology, but, but Baptist history. Uh, one that I think uh, has been uh, in part misunderstood uh, over the last century uh, and, um, you know, good intentions behind some of these things. But um, I do think that it's, it's a discussion worth having. Are Baptists Reformed? And so when we use the word Reformed Baptist, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means here when when modern Baptists call themselves Reformed. But then we're going to also ask the question uh, about whether or not historically we can lay, lay claim to that uh, nomenclature, whether we can lay, lay claim to the, the titling of Reformed. Uh, so we're going to look at that here. Welcome to the Baptist broadcast. It's good to be with you all. I took a week off last week. Uh, we were out of town for a couple of days, and so that that obviously uh, crunched my schedule. Uh, couldn't couldn't get to couldn't get to the studio, but um, but today and this week that's not the case. Uh, good to be back with you all. We are located on any uh, podcast platform that you can really think of: Podcast Addict, Anchor.fm, uh, and so on. Hey guys, what's up? A quick word from this week's sponsor, tinybibles.com. If you guys haven't seen tinybibles.com, run over there and check it out. You can get these tiny Bibles on there, handy for missions, those countries where you have to smuggle Bibles in. This can be very helpful. The kids love it. It's a great historical point as well. These tiny Bibles began production in 1896 uh, by a man named David Bryce of Glasgow, and they were produced for uh, soldiers. They were produced for uh, the um, uh, soldiers of the British Empire. Then we carry them around. And um, they have almost what appears to be microscopic lettering. It's amazing, the typeset and how clear the typeset actually is. And it comes included with a magnifying glass. Guys, again, the kids love it. If you are a missionary in a country or aspiring missionary to a country that has outlawed God's word, consider tiny Bibles. They're easy to move around, easy to pack in places that uh, authorities may not check. Go ahead and check out tinybibles.com. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. Are Baptists Reformed? Um, very complicated question. Uh, anytime you get into historical language that applies to a particular movement, you're getting into very difficult waters. Uh, the reason you're getting into difficult waters is because language changes, and the use of language changes over time. The reason we're not speaking Old English, uh, and the reason we're not speaking Elizabethan English is because language obviously changes. Um, and the reason we don't use some words to refer to some common thing um, uh, and we use different words, it is because language changes, and that's just a, a fact of life. It's a fact of history. And so when it comes to something like Reformed, which applies to a, 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 a movement um, that may or may not include some certain kinds of groups or traditions, you're automatically asking a very complicated question about who this word uh, applies to and who it does not. Now, I'm going to make some qualifications, and the qualifications are going to be along the lines of uh, the word reformed itself and different senses in which it may apply. So we're going to look at that. 
But I think what we need to do is we need to begin by looking at a couple of things. Number one, I want to look at the word Baptist. Now, uh, this may seem like an odd place to start. This is a, a podcast episode about uh, the word Reformed. Why am I starting with the word Baptist? Well, uh, again, going back to the overall point that language changes, I think it's very important to note that the earlier Baptists, the Baptists in the 16th century, 17th century, did not call themselves Baptists. The language uh, Baptist or the title of Baptist comes later on in the literature. Um, so if you back all the way up to uh, the 17th century and you look at Baptist confessions, you're not going to see Baptist confessions of faith, quote unquote. All right. You're going to see confessions of faith uh, that come from uh, baptized churches or baptized congregations. So the first thing I would like to do is look at the 1644, the first London Baptist Confession of Faith, and that name is uh, anachronistically given. It was given later. It, the title of the confession itself is not the 1644 London Baptist Confession of Faith, just like the second London is not the, the, the title is, is technically not the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. We'll look at that as well. The other piece of the puzzle here uh, that I would like to, the, the other connection I would like to make is, is that between the, the Reformed churches and their view of who we now call the particular Baptists, that they were Anabaptists. Um, and part of the reason that the Reformed churches in the 17th century did not view the particular Baptist churches as Reformed was because they had an underlying assumption, I don't think their case could be proven uh, given the actual data, but they had the underlying assumption that the particular Baptists were Anabaptists. Now, the particular Baptists themselves deny that that titling. They deny that um, that nomenclature or that uh, that designation. And they do so on the cover page or the title page of the 1644, the First London Baptist Confession of Faith. So let's look at that right now, and I'll bring it up here on the screen. I feel sorry for you guys listening to the podcast version of this because you can't really see this, but um, I, I got to give credit where credit's due. I, I, I located, I, I'm sourcing this from uh, the Angus Library and Archive, uh, and so there's a uh, handy uh, way to actually um, access this. Uh, these images, um, uh, it's associated with Regents Park College, which is part of Oxford. Um, but I have to uh, credit uh, Sam Rinehan, Dr. Sam Rinehan, for this. I found uh, the Angus Library and Archive through his website, pettyfrance.wordpress.com. Of course, uh, Regents Park College, as I understand it, is uh, an organization he's done work with uh, in terms of scholarship. I'm not sure uh, if these pictures are actually his or if they come from somewhere else. I, I know that he has uh, uploaded a great deal of imagery on his own website. Uh, so thanks, Dr. Sam Renahan, for this. And uh, uh, and Angus Library and Archive, which is where these pictures come from. So uh, just to be very clear about that, that's where I'm getting these. Uh, I stand on the shoulders of others. Um, there's very little original to me that I do. So this is one example of that. So if you look at this, this is the first London Confession, the title page 
uh, for the 1644. I believe this is the first edition because it says they're printed in the year of our Lord, 1644. So a couple of things that I would like to look at here. Notice that the actual title of the confession is the confession of faith of those churches which are commonly, though falsely, called Anabaptists. So the Baptists of the 17th century, uh, Benjamin Keach would have been involved in the uh, uh, in the Second London Confession. In this confession right here, William Kiffin would have been involved. I'm not sure if Keach would have been involved or not. I think it would have been before his time, but I could be corrected on that. Um, uh, William Kiffin would have been uh, involved in this in the drafting of this confession. Um, you know, these are these are Baptist men that, you know, Baptists today would, would very much look up to on either side of the debate as to whether or not Baptists are Reformed. And one of the things that you get here in the 1644 is um, uh, the, the very clear uh, distinguishing uh, between these baptized Christians and Anabaptists. Basically, the framers of this confession are saying, we're not Anabaptists. We're accused of being Anabaptists, but we're not. Now, remember that the reason that the Reformed churches in the 17th century made up of mostly Paedo-Baptists, uh, Paedo-Baptist Presbyterians and Paedo-Baptist congregations—well, actually, Congregationalists would not have technically been considered Reformed then, I don't think, either— but made up of, uh, of Paedo-Baptist Presbyterians would have said, well, part of the reason the Baptists, quote-unquote, aren't Reformed is because we believe that they're Anabaptists. Anabaptists are not— they're, they're schismatics, they're heretics, we, we denounce them. That's what they would say. I don't believe that all Anabaptists were heretics, by the way. I think there were some fringe groups. I think there was a, uh, uh, some groups that were, were decent. Um, very, that's another very complicated study off, off on its own. Um, but what the Baptists are saying here in, in this confession is we're not, we're not Anabaptists. We're distinguished from Anabaptists. Um, and uh, one of the arguments made against calling Baptists Reformed today is that the, the Baptists of the 17th century and, and onward and on into today are just a continuing tradition of the Anabaptist movement, uh, which was, would have been termed during the time of the Reformation as the Radical Reformation and obviously existed before uh, the Reformation proper. You're looking at, you know, 14th, 15th century, 15th century especially, that you get some late 15th century literature from Anabaptists, Balthazar Hubmere, I'm thinking of 15th, 16th century material there. Um, and, uh, and so a lot of a lot of today's Baptists that would be that would be against calling the Calvinistic or particular Baptist movement reformed would say, well, we're not reformed. Because uh, we, we, we were Anabaptists, we preceded the Reform movement, and, uh, and so we're not Reformed. That designation cannot apply to us. But the problem with that is that the Baptists in the 17th century were, the particular Baptist movement of the 17th century, were consciously denying their association with the Anabaptist movement of the Radical Reformation. And they do so here on the very front page of the 1644. Now, uh, they don't do so as clearly in the Second London, that is, it's not included so much on the title page, but in the letter to the judicious and impartial reader, it becomes very uh, clear that they've associated themselves with the Protestant movement. Wholesome Protestant doctrine is how they put that. We'll look at the cover page of the Second London here in a moment. Uh, so notice a couple things about the cover of this. Notice they're not called Baptists, or they're not calling themselves Baptists. 
and they are disassociating themselves from the Anabaptist movement, which was one of the reasons why Baptists were not considered Reformed, is because they were seen as being linked with the Anabaptists. That's a Pado-Baptist Presbyterian sentiment. That's not a sentiment that was imbibed by the Baptists themselves. They distanced themselves from the Anabaptists. Um, and so those are the two things that I wanted us to note about the cover page of the First London. Let me bring up the cover page of the Second London. And we'll see even here, you're looking at some decades uh, later, uh, and they're still not calling themselves Baptists. How are they? What are they calling themselves? Well, you see the title. It's a confession of faith put forth by the elder and brethren of many congregations of Christians baptized upon profession of their faith. They're the baptized congregations, we could say, in London and the country. So the association of Baptist churches uh, just were distinguished in virtue of the fact that these are uh, these are congregations that are that are baptized upon profession of faith, and in that way they're distinguished from the Pado-Baptists. That's one of the major differences between this confession of faith and the Westminster Confession of Faith, is baptism, the ordinance of baptism, uh, the covenant theology that's really inherent to really the whole—I mean, in a way, it's laced throughout the whole confession as an assumption um, from from the chapter on God's covenant onward, at least— but the the other thing is uh, they are um, they are distinguishing themselves e- ecclesiologically. So also there's a different form of church government that they have adopted uh, that is distinct from Presbyterianism, uh, and that is congregationalism. All right. So they align with the Savoy Congregationalists in terms of their church polity. They drop the infant baptism and they move to a credo-baptistic position based on their conviction from the scriptures. Uh, most of the rest of their theology is is very similar to what would be found in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And part of the project of the Second London is saying, here's where we differ, here's where we are the same. And there's a great deal of where they're the same, uh, and there are some important points uh, upon which they they differ as well. And the purpose of this confession is to make that very clear. The letter to the judicious and impartial reader that you get um, should get in the uh, the leather-bound confession that was uh, sold by Solid Ground Books for, for many years, and I think now you can get different editions. Broken Wharf, uh, I think, puts one out that has the letter to the judicious and impartial reader at the beginning, all of the confessions, all of the Second London uh, confessions that are printed today should include that uh, as a uh, as a preface. They don't always, but if you can get one with that preface, you can access one digitally on Broken Wharf's website, Broken Wharf W H A R F E. It's the old spelling dot com, and you can find the digital digitized version of the confession on there. And it does have the letter to the judicious and impartial reader. And in that letter, you get language uh, that associates their movement, their their tradition with Protestantism. Uh, and so I'll just try to find that quickly here so that I can read part of it. I won't read um, uh, I won't read all of it. Um, but uh, this is again, this is in the preface and they say this. Um, where to start? Let's see. Of course you have the long sentences, run-on sentences uh, in the 17th century, so popular then. Uh, One thing that greatly prevailed with us, this is their words, 
One thing that greatly prevailed with us to undertake this work, the work of this confession, was not only to give a full account of ourselves to those Christians that differ from us about the subject of baptism, but also the profit that might from thence arise unto those that have any account of our labors in their instruction and establishment in the great truths of the gospel, in the clear understanding and steady belief of which our comfortable walking with God and fruitfulness before him in all our ways is most nearly concerned, and therefore we did conclude it necessary to express ourselves the more fully and distinctly, and also to fix on such a method as might be most comprehensive of those things we deigned to explain our sense and belief of, and finding no defect in this regard and that fixed on by the assembly, the Westminster Assembly that produced the Westminster Confession, finding no defect in the things they agreed upon, and after them by those of the congregational way, the Savoy uh, Declaration, um, I think John Owen and Thomas Goodwin, uh, we did we did readily conclude it best to retain the same order in our present confession. And also when we observed that those last mentioned did in their confessions, for reasons which seemed of weight both to themselves and others, choose not only to express their mind and words concurrent with the former in sense concerning all those articles wherein they were agreed, but also for the most part without any variation of the terms, we did in like manner conclude it best to follow their example in making use of the very same words with them both in these articles, which are very many, wherein our faith and doctrine are the same with theirs. And this we did more abundantly to manifest our consent with both in all the fundamental articles of the Christian religion, and also with many others whose orthodox confessions have been published to the world on the behalf of the Protestant in diverse nations and cities. So basically what they're saying there is we don't want to clog religion with new words. We're not making up anything new. We do have some differences with the Westminster Assembly, but we we also have hearty uh, uh, doctrinal agreement. We're going to make those areas known, but we're also going to make the differences known as well. Um, and then they go on, they say, and also to convince all that we have no itch, what I just said, that we have no itch to clog religion with new words, but do readily acquiesce in that form of sound words which has been, which hath been in, con in consent with the Holy Scriptures used by others before us, hereby declaring before God, angels, and men our hearty agreement with them in that wholesome Protestant doctrine, which, with so clear evidence of Scriptures, they have asserted. Now, by the, by the you can use the word Protestant very broadly. Here, I think they're using it uh, in a more strict sense, in the sense that we would say Protestant Reformed. Um, they're obviously not talking about Lutherans so much as they're talking about the uh, the Pado-Baptist Presbyterians uh, and the Congregationalists. And perhaps the reason they chose the word Protestant instead of Reformed is because they wanted to include the Congregational tradition. Uh, as well as the uh, the Pado baptists that would align more closely with Presbyterianism. So they say that the Protestant doctrine, I don't think they have so much in view Lutheranism, although I will say that there was a fair bit of interaction between the Baptists of the 17th century and some of the more influential Lutherans of the 16th century, um, you know, some fruitful interactions, some interaction that showed that they actually had a, uh, some agreement on some very important biblical theological items. Um, but here, I think I think they're they're mainly concerned with with saying uh, that they have a agreement with uh, that wholesome Protestant doctrine, which is found particularly in the Savoy and the Westminster Confessions of Faith. Um, and so that word Protestant, I think, I think is is being used more strictly than just a kind of a. Uh, 
broad, you know, inclusion of the entirety of what could have been, could have been called Protestantism um, in the uh, in the 17th century. Um, some things, indeed, are in some places added, some terms omitted, and some few changed, but these alterations are of that nature as that we need not doubt any change or suspicion of soundness in the faith from any of our brethren upon the account of them. So they're doing a couple things. They're doing, they're in the same spirit of the First London Confession, though the First London Confession wasn't as vast uh, and specific. They're continuing in the same spirit of, of distancing themselves, on the one hand, from Anabaptism, and on the other hand, showing that they align with the Paedo-Baptist Presbyterians and the Savoy Declarationists, but also have some pretty important differences from both of them, both ecclesiologically and sacramentally, talking about the ordinance of baptism in particular. And, um, and so how does this all tie together, all this tie together and, and tie into the question of whether Baptists are Reformed? Well, this is some important historical uh, hold on, let me do that. This is some important historical biographical information that I think shows us kind of what the historical landscape was like back then. On the one hand, you have the Westminster Assembly and those involved with the Westminster Assembly who would say, no, these 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 particular Baptists, they are uh, suspicious. We think they're probably aligned with the Anabaptists. They, 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 because they believe in believers' baptism, that must mean they believe in rebaptism, and then that must mean that they are ideological descendants of Anabaptists, the Anabaptists of the Radical Reformation. And so, they polemically the the West the Westminster Christians polemically engage the Baptists as such, and the Baptists are saying, "No, we're not part of that movement." Here's where we agree with you guys. This is this is sufficient to distinguish us from Anabaptism, but also we disagree with you on baptism, and we'll tell you what our doctrine of baptism is, and we disagree with you on church government. We'll tell you what our view of church government is. That's why it's one of the longest chapters in the Confession, chapter 26. And so, um, so there's a, a bunch of different reasons. The other reason that the Confession came to be the Second London is because of various heresies uh, one in particular is very significant, and that is uh, the heretic Thomas Collier, who traveled west, um, was sent out by a particular Baptist church, um, William Kiffin's church, to go and plant churches in the in the Westlands. And uh, what ends up happening is he he changes his doctrine substantially, departs from the doctrine of the Trinity, departs from the doctrine of the Incarnation. Um, he, he rejects both of those, uh, as well as other things. And yet he's going around, you know, representing the Baptist churches back in London and London and the countryside. And so now need has arisen for the Orthodox particular Baptists to distinguish themselves from heretics like Thomas Collier, who are, uh, in all practicality, representing the Baptist movement in the Westlands. So it was a very difficult situation and, and it was, it was one of the reasons that, that gave occasion for the drafting of the Second London Confession. So, all of those considerations. Baptists were not calling themselves Baptists in the 17th century. They were distinguishing themselves from Anabaptists in the 17th century. They were consciously trying to show their agreement with the Reformed, which was substantial. Um, and they were consciously um, trying to also qualify their disagreements with the Reformed. Um, 
you consider all of those things and you can you can understand why on the one hand they're not being called reformed because they're being mistaken as Anabaptists but you could also see on the other hand why they should be called reformed because in terms of their confession of faith they find agreement on so much uh, with regard to the Westminster Confession of Faith that they really should be included in the Reformed tradition. So from a, a historical standpoint, you can look back and you could, you could make a case that the Baptists should be, should be understood as Reformed. They should be understood as being within the historical Reformed um, uh, tradition. Um, that doesn't really get us to how the word reformed is being used today, and it doesn't really get us to some of the concerns that people have with the word reformed in the first place. If you see the word reformed as a moniker um, that uh, that is purpose-driven to communicate the idea of reforming the Roman Catholic Church, as if the Roman granting then validity to the Roman Catholic Church, as if it was a true church that just needed to be reformed. If you see the term Reformation within that light, then you could understand some concerns uh, that would kind of ply against the word reformed. Um, but if you understand the word reform as a moniker that applies to the overall need, specifically in the 16th century and the 17th century to some extent, to, uh, to reform not the Roman Catholic Church, uh, granting the, therefore validity to it as a true church, but to reform the general political and theological atmosphere of those two centuries, uh, then I think the Baptists should be numbered within that tradition. And I think the Baptists would have numbered themselves within that tradition if you were to ask them point blank. The language in the preface to the Second London is pretty clear that they're identifying themselves with as those who, who confess and, and believe in that wholesome Protestant doctrine. Um, and what they're what they're doing by saying that is they're not they're not granting validity to the Romish institution as if it were a true church that just needed to be corrected a little bit. What they're doing is they're saying that, no, doctrinally, we we find ourselves within this same movement. We are partners, and we are here um, to, to do the same things. That is to resource the scriptures and to publish wide uh, wholesome, true biblical doctrine and to, con uh, to, to, to confess it and to uh, remain steadfast within it. Uh, and if that's what the Protestant and the Reformed cause was, then Baptists should be numbered within that. The word Reformed, uh, even for the Reformers, did not—it was true that in Luther's earlier years, he, he saw a need to reform the Roman Catholic Church. His assumption was, Rome is a true church insofar as it goes. It's in error. It needs to be reformed. He changes his mind on that later on in his life, and he realizes that Rome is, is an apostate institution uh, that, that needs to be thought of as such. 
later reformers like like John Calvin, you're getting language in later reformers that would say, no, Rome is Rome is departing from us. And by us, they mean the true Catholic Church. We're the true Catholics. And you get this language in William Perkins uh, in his in his body of work, Reformed Catholics, uh, Reformed um a reformed Catholic is one of his works within his overall corpus of, of, um, of work. And he, and he's talking about this idea of reformed Catholicity. And by that, he doesn't mean, Oh, you know, we re- we reformed the Romish institution. That's not what he's saying for, for them, for the, for like the second generation reformers, especially, and for the, for the reformed Orthodox of the 17th century, they would say that there's nothing, there's nothing Catholic about the Roman Catholic church. Uh, and that there's nothing, uh, there's nothing essentially uh, churchly in a true sense. Uh, there's nothing churchly about it. It's not a, it's not a true church, in other words. And so they're not making the argument that the Romish institution needs to just be altered, and and, and reformed. They're saying no. The the general overall political political atmosphere of the of the 16th 17th centuries needed to be reformed politically. And then the theological atmosphere. Remember, the Bible is is just starting to be mass produced in some way, and it's just starting to be translated into different into different tongues from um, you know moving a step forward from the Latin Vulgate and so on. And so, uh, there's a lot going on here that suggests reforms happening actually on different levels, po- politically, um, personally, societally, the general s- social atmosphere. Uh, people are are being enlightened as to the truths of Scripture. They couldn't read it on their own before. So this is all Reformation. And then you could even throw the Baptists in there and and say, really, that uh, between the First and Second London Confessions, you're looking at uh, a continuation of the project of reform in the sense that these confessions represent, I think, uh, otherwise I wouldn't believe them, but they represent a refinement of Christian orthodoxy with regard to ecclesiology and uh, and and uh, baptism, and so they went they went further than Westminster and Savoy did, and they refined those two doctrinal areas. Uh, whereas the Baptists could agree with the Westminster Presbyterians and the Savoy uh, Congregationalists on things like the doctrine of justification and and um, the doctrine of God and the doctrine of the incarnation and all of these important principal doctrines that make a Christian a Christian, yet they differed from them in areas of ecclesiology uh, in the case of Westminster and baptism in the case of Westminster and uh, Savoy. And uh, so that's, I think, very important consideration. Um, the language uh, of reform or the Reformation, is used favorably uh, among the Baptists, uh, thinking particular, uh, particularly of uh, Benjamin Keach. Um, and uh, I actually had a uh, excerpt up here um, that uh, I think is helpful. So it, this is coming from uh, Tropologia, uh, metaphors, allegories, similes, types, etc., that respect the Church of Rome, the mystery, which he calls the mystery of Babylon. So here I have Keach obviously not granting a status of true church, and, and he's joining with the rest of the 
Reformation movement on that. Uh, the Reformation movement, whether you're talking about the Reformers or the post-Reformed or the post-Reformation uh, Reformed Orthodox, the 17th century divines, they all agreed that the Romish institution was Mystery Babylon. They, they, they believed that it was the great horror and all of this, the Antichrist and so on. And uh, one of the things Keech says here uh, is this. He says, to reinforce this argument, and of course there's a broader context here, so it's difficult just to read this without, without going into that. But he says, uh, to reinforce this argument, let any man that will become an advocate for the Church of Rome show that any people called the Reformed who dissent from the Church of Rome are guilty of like idolatry. And that the kings of the earth have, compli have complied with them in it, as aforementioned. And we will acquit this argument. But if this character doth more fitly agree to Rome than to the Reformed, etc., our argument is good. Now there he's essentially making an argument for the Reformed. And I would, I would say even, I would take a step further and say he's, he's, he's putting himself in that because he's arguing on their behalf and he's joining with them in the same belief that this Romish church is, is an apostate institution. John Gill speaks of the Reformation uh, on numerous occasions. He says this, The doctrine of justification by the righteousness of Christ is a doctrine of great importance. The apostle speaks of it as if the essence of the gospel lay in it and calls the opposite to it. Justification by the works of the law, another gospel, Galatians 1, 6, and 7, it is a fundamental article of the gospel. Some have called it the basis of Christianity. It was the great doctrine of the Reformation. What our first reform, what our first reformers made their chief study, and by it cut the sinews of popery, the anti-Christian doctrines of penance and purgatory, of pardons and indulgences, of the merit of good works, works of supererogation. So there he calls the reformers our reformers, and so on. Uh, there's affectionate language in the 17th and 18th century about the Reformation. It's really not until you get uh, to later generations that uh, that start to decry the Reformation as something that uh, was shouldn't shouldn't be seen as it shouldn't be seen as being related materially to the Baptist movement, which kind of transcended it and came before it, and so on. So should Baptists be called Reformed. There's one other consideration that we have to think about and talk through. And that is how the word Reformed is applied to the Baptist movement today. The, we, we've seen that historically the word Reformed did not uh, insinuate the Reformation of the already existing Roman Catholic institution. Perkins, Calvin, all of your paedo-baptists are, are clear about the fact that Rome was an apostate institution. In fact, you get some odd ducks like Richard Baxter, who thought that Rome just needed to be reformed. And the, the great majority of theologians during his lifetime in the 17th century would have disagreed with him, in my opinion. Um... And I think the Baptists were the same way in the 17th century. They didn't see the word Reformation or the word Reformed as insinuating any sort of validity for the Church of Rome or the Reformation of the Church of Rome. They saw it as a Reformation of doctrine that people generally believed. Uh, this is when the scriptures are coming to light. 
uh, the people generally uh, have, because of the printing press, generally now have access to the scriptures and because of translation work and all of that, which before that point, translation work, the translation uh, of the scriptures into the vulgar tongue was uh, a taboo, if not totally illegal, depending on the century that you're looking at. And so following the Reformation, all of that changes. Um, today, so today, so then Reformation or Reformed did not, did not insinuate any sort of automatic relationship to Roman Catholicism. Today, the way Reformed is applied to Reformed Baptist churches continues to avoid uh, mixture or insinuation or relationship to Roman Catholicism. A Reformed Baptist church, if you're asking anybody who uses that word in their common parlance, if that's part of their vocabulary, what they mean by a Reformed Baptist church is a Baptist church that believes in the doctrines of grace. Uh, I would say that that's an insufficient that's an insufficient kind of doctrinal designation. Uh, I don't think that a, a Baptist church that believes in the doctrines of grace is necessarily reformed by itself. I would say the more specific designation of the term reformed today in, in regard to Baptist churches is in relation to Baptist churches being confessional. So m- most people, if they're using the term precisely— when they use the word Reformed Baptist, they're referring to a confessional uh, Baptist church, a Baptist church that confesses specifically the Second London Confession of Faith. That's seen as one of the Reformed Confessions of Faith of the 17th century. And so if a Baptist church confesses that confession, they are termed a Reformed Baptist church. Of course, within that confession are included the doctrines of grace. It's a Calvinistic document through and through. Uh, follows in the tradition of uh, of, of, of Dorsian uh, Calvinism, uh, but there's more, right? There's ecclesiology, there is uh, sacramentology, baptism in the Lord's Supper, there is um, uh, other things, the doctrines of the covenant, um, and, and so on, that would, uh, that would distinguish uh, a particular group as being Reformed or falling within the purview of Reformed orthodoxy. So, are Baptists Reformed? Let's turn our attention to Scripture. This hasn't been an episode on Scripture per se. It's been more of a historiography, but um, let's turn our attention to Scripture and look at Romans 14, verse 1. Now, Romans 14 is a chapter that largely deals with the doctrine of Christian liberty, which is a chapter in our confession. And um, the way Paul begins chapter 14 is, I think, very significant when we're talking about uh, these kinds of discussions. Can Baptists be called Reformed or not? Um, Paul says in the very first verse of Romans 14, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. The evidence that we just looked at um, would suggest that there is an argument to be made for calling particular Baptists who confess the Second London Reformed Baptists. All right, there's an argument to be made, a historical argument and a contemporary argument can be made for calling particular Baptist churches Reformed Baptists. 
we do also know that there is concern with that language because of some of the misunderstandings that exist uh, associating the term Reformed with Roman Catholicism and the Sacral Society and all of that. And so I would just caution um, everyone that gets into these kinds of discussions, can Baptists be called Reformed or not, to not make it a matter of fellowship. And we don't want to make it a matter of, uh, of, of breaking fellowship because, you know, Paul in Romans 14, do not welcome those who are weak in the faith to disputes over doubtful things. We don't want to cause brothers and sisters to stumble over these kinds of, of debates. And, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't have the conversation, but it also means that we shouldn't uh, become quarrelsome. We shouldn't become quarrelsome about them. Uh, I do think there's a very good case, historically and contemporarily, to be made that Baptists, following in the tradition of the Second London Confession, should and even actually could and even should call themselves Reformed. I, I think there's a certain utility to the word Reformed. Usually when somebody uh, sees the word Baptist Church, they're automatically going to assume it's Arminian, it's you know engaged in some kind of easy believism. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion with the word Baptist. That's just how it is today. Every Everybody and their brother uses that word to describe their kind of Christianity, and it's, and it's different all over the place. The utility of the word Reformed is that, when you, is that when someone is told that your church is a Reformed Baptist church, they have an instantaneous idea that, okay, if I go here, I'm going to hear scriptural preaching, and I'm going to hear... Uh, it's going to be doctrines of grace. It's going to be confessional doctrine. These guys are are more than likely, I'm not saying infallibly, but more than likely these guys are are grounded, and so we know that we can go there. Okay, so there's a certain utility to the way in which the word reformed is used. Remember, English and every other language in the world changes, and uh, words change in terms of their utility. This is why some forms of English are, you know, old English, for example, you wouldn't even be able to understand it, and and there were there are words that were used for things back in the 40s uh, and the 50s that are no longer used today. I don't walk into a restaurant and ask where the water closet is. Uh, I walk into the restaurant and ask where the bathroom is. You know, and so you know I'm not I'm not in uh, London. Uh, I don't ask where the loo is in the United States of America. I ask where the bathroom is. So okay, so so certain words change. Would it be wrong to call the bathroom a loo? No, it wouldn't. Uh, but is there a certain utility to the word bathroom in terms of the United States? Sorry to use the bathroom analogy, but it just it illustrates the point that words change. And there's a certain utility to the word reformed today. And so if you're looking at a reformed Baptist church, you're looking at a church that confesses the second London. That means they confess the doctrines of grace. They're going to they're going to believe in expositional preaching and and so on and so forth. They're uh, going to have strong family orientation, uh, and, and so on. So hopefully that's helpful. We're at 47 minutes. That's a little longer than I wanted. I wanted to be, uh, today, but that's okay. Um, hopefully this discussion, this is just kind of me talking through this issue. Uh, I didn't, I didn't systematize it in a nice little tight outline. I, I just kind of, uh, started talking and hopefully the, hopefully the pontification was helpful. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day.